Hey, all right. We are back with more of the analysis of the Tucker Carlson interview with Vladimir Putin. This is going to be part two of this interview. And I'm saying part two because I'm taking my time going line upon line, precept upon precept, telling you my thoughts, my, uh, my ideas. And I'm pretty sure you're going to find that uh, these things are true. These things are true that I'm pointing out to you. You probably never thought about them before, but that's the reality of where we're at today. So let's get this thing started. At this point in time, Vladimir Putin is starting to get into the history of the Ukraine and how they came to be. And he's trying to explain to Mr. Carlson this history. So here we go. It was obvious. Just before World War I, they wanted to weaken the potential enemy and secure themselves favorable conditions in the border area. So the idea which had emerged in Poland that people residing in that territory were allegedly not really Russians, but rather belonged to a special ethnic group, Ukrainians, started being propagated by the Austrian general staff. As far back as the 19th century, theorists calling for Ukrainian independence appeared. All those, however, claim that Ukraine should have a very good relationship with Russia. They insisted on that. After the 1917 revolution, the Bolsheviks sought to restore the statehood and the civil war began, including the hostilities with Poland. So, Paying attention, like we were saying earlier, Poland took over this area of what we now know as Ukraine, took those people, isolated them, told them they couldn't uh, speak Russian, told them they couldn't enjoy their Russian heritage, and because they were no name, no citizens, this started a war. So at this point in time, 1917 is when everything changed for Russia at the time and they started becoming more and more communistic. In 1921 peace with Poland was proclaimed and under that treaty the right bank of Dnieper River once again was given back to Poland. In 1939 after Poland cooperated with Hitler he did collaborate with Hitler, you know. <coughs> Hitler offered Poland peace and a treaty of friendship, an alliance demanding in return that Poland give back to Germany the so-called Danzig Corridor, which connected the bulk of Germany with East Prussia and Königsberg. After World War I, this territory was transferred to Poland, and instead of Danzig, a city of Dansk emerged. Hitler asked them to give it amicably, but they refused. Of course. Still, they collaborated with Hitler and engaged together in the partitioning of Czechoslovakia. Sorry, I gotta stop. What, what is this with Tucker Carlson's face? Is he, is he 
Is he not understanding what Putin is saying? Is he slow? I, I, I don't get the look. Why are you not looking interested in what's going on? Why do you have this scowl on your face? But may I ask you, you're making the case that, that Ukraine, certainly parts of Ukraine, Eastern Ukraine is in, in effect Russia has been for hundreds of years. Why wouldn't you just take it when you became president 24 years ago? You have nuclear weapons, they don't. If it's actually your land, why did you wait so long? Sure. I'll tell you. I'm coming to that. This briefing is coming to an end. It might be boring, but it explains many things. I just don't know how it's relevant. No. How do you not know how all of this history is relevant? You don't know that it's relevant because you have not been paying attention to what Vladimir Putin has been saying since 2022. We don't want this whole region. We just want peace. We want the people in this region to be respected for their Russian rights, their Russian heritage, and this is not what's going on right now. And historically, this has happened between Polish, the Poland and Russia before, and this is just a repeat of that history. So, so Mr. Carlson, wake up and get the dumb look off your face. Good. Good. I'm so gratified that you appreciate that. Thank you. So, before World War II, Poland collaborated with Hitler, and although it did not yield to Hitler's demands, it still participated in the partitioning of Czechoslovakia together with Hitler, as the Poles had not given the Danzig Corridor to Germany and went too far, pushing Hitler to start World War II by attacking them. Why was it Poland against whom the war started on 1st September 1939? Poland turned out to be uncompromising and Hitler had nothing to do but start implementing his plans with Poland. By the way, the USSR, I have read some archive documents, behaved very honestly. It asked Poland's permission to transit its troops through the Polish territory to help Czechoslovakia. But the then Polish foreign minister said that if the Soviet planes flew over Poland, they would be downed over the territory of Poland. <coughs> but that so listen at the nefariousness of the behavior of Poland. Poland is in agreement with Adolf Hitler to a degree until Hitler says, okay, I'm going to take the land from you. Russia is trying to help Czechoslovakia and it asks permission of Poland to go through its territory so that it can help. Does Poland say, yes, you can do that? Poland says, no, you can't. We don't want you to do it. If you do, we're going to destroy your stuff. So what's, what's going on with Poland? What's going on with Poland? It doesn't matter. What matters is that the war began, and Poland fell prey to the policies it had pursued against Czechoslovakia, as under the well-known Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. Part of the territory, including Western Ukraine, was to be given to Russia. Thus, Russia, which was then named as USSR, regained its historical lands. After the victory in the Great Patriotic War, as we call World War II, 
All those territories will ultimately enshrine this belonging to Russia, to the USSR. As for Poland, it received, apparently in compensation, the lands which had originally been German. The eastern parts of Germany, these are now western lands of Poland. Of course, Poland regained access to the Baltic Sea and Danzig, which was once again given its Polish name. So, this was how this situation developed. In 1922, when the USSR was being established, the Bolsheviks started building the USSR and established the Soviet Ukraine, which had never existed before. Stalin insisted that those republics be included in the USSR as autonomous entities. For some inexplicable reason, Lenin, the founder of the Soviet state, insisted that they be entitled to withdraw from the USSR. <coughs> and, again, for some unknown reasons, he transferred to that newly established Soviet Republic of Ukraine some of the lands together with people living there, even though those lands had never been called Ukraine. And yet, they were made part of that Soviet Republic of Ukraine. Those lands included the Black Sea region, which was received under Catherine the Great, and which had no historical connection with Ukraine whatsoever. Even if we go as far back as 1654, when these lands returned to Russian Empire, that territory... What are you smiling for? What's, what's so funny? What's so funny? He's, he's about to... Territory was the size of three to four regions of modern Ukraine, with no Black Sea region. That was completely out of the question. In 1654. Exactly. Well, I'm just. I, you obviously have encyclopedic knowledge of this region, but why didn't you make this case for the first 22 years as president that Ukraine wasn't a real country? The Soviet Union was given a great deal of territory that had never belonged to it, including the Black Sea region. At some point, when Russia received them as an outcome of the Russo-Turkish Wars, they were called New Russia or Novorossiya. But that does not matter. What matters is that Lenin, the founder of the Soviet state, established Ukraine that way. For decades, the Ukrainian Soviet Republic developed as part of the USSR. And for unknown reasons, again, the Bolsheviks were engaged in Ukrainianization. It was not merely because the Soviet leadership was composed to a great extent of those originating from Ukraine. Rather, it was explained by the general policy of indigenous pursued by the Soviet Union. Same things were done in other Soviet republics. This involved promoting national languages and national cultures, which is not a bad in principle. That is how the Soviet Ukraine was created. After the World War II, Ukraine received, in addition to the lands that had belonged to Poland before the war, part of the lands that had previously belonged to Hungary and Romania. So Romania and Hungary had some of their lands taken away and given to the 
the Soviet Ukraine, and they still remain part of Ukraine. So in this sense, we have every reason to affirm that Ukraine is an artificial state that was shaped at Stalin's will. Do you believe Hungary has a right to take its land back from Ukraine, and that other nations have a right to go back to their 1654 <coughs> borders? I'm not sure whether they should go back to the 1654 borders. But given Stalin's time, so-called Stalin's regime, which as many claim saw numerous violations of human rights and violations of the rights of other states, one may say that they could claim back those lands of theirs while having no right to do that. It is at least understandable. Have you told Viktor Orban that he can have part of Ukraine? Never. I have never told him. Not a single time. <coughs> we have not even had any conversation on that, but I actually know for sure that Hungarians who live there wanted to get back to their historical land. Moreover, I would like to share a very interesting story with you. I digress, it's a personal one. Somewhere in the early 80s, I went on a road trip in a... So listen to this. He, again, Vladimir Putin is trying to make the claim, make the tie together historically about things that happened in Ukraine. Tucker's sitting there with his dumb looks, looking up in the, in the, in the sky, not really paying attention, being disrespectful. He's going to miss vitally important information Car from then Leningrad across the Soviet Union through Kiev made a stop in Kiev and then went to western Ukraine I went to the town of Beregovoye and all the names of towns and villages there were in Russian and in the language I did not understand in Hungarian in Russian and in Hungarian not in Ukrainian in Russian and in Hungarian. I was driving through some kind of village and there were men sitting next to the houses and they were wearing black three-piece suits and black cylinder hats. I asked, are they some kind of entertainers? I was told, no, they were not entertainers, they're Hungarians. I said, what are they doing here? What do you mean? This is their land, they live here. This was during the Soviet time in the 1980s. They preserved the Hungarian language, Hungarian names and all their national costumes. They are Hungarians and they feel themselves to be Hungarians. So, as you're, as you're paying attention to this, look, listen at what he's saying. The Hungarians had the rights to keep their names, they had the rights to keep their culture, they had the rights to keep their religions going in this region. This didn't happen with Ukraine. And of course, when now there is an infringement. Well, that, that is, and there's a lot of that, though. I think many nations are upset about Transylvania as well, as you obviously know. But many nations feel frustrated by the redrawn borders of the wars of the 20th century and wars going back a thousand years, the ones that you mentioned. But the fact is that you didn't make this case in public until two years ago, February. And in the case that you made, which I read today, 
you, you explain at great length that you felt a physical threat from the West in NATO, including potentially a nuclear threat, and that's what got you to move. Is that a fair characterization of what you said? I understand that my long speeches probably fall outside of the genre of the interview. <laughs> I thought that was smooth for Putin. <laughs> that was a very nice way of saying you're not paying attention to me. You're not keeping up with me. Please do. I understand I'm on a level that's, that's higher than you. But you're, you're, you're making this more difficult because you're not listening. Tucker Carlson, you're not listening. Put your agenda aside. Put it down. And listen to what this man is trying to tell you. Because it's key. It's vitally important information to understanding what this conflict is about. And this conflict is not about Russia trying to take more land. It's about Russia trying to defend it's people who just want to be Russian. They just want to be Russian and live in Ukraine. If the Hungarians, listen to this. This, this is the contrast that, that he's trying to get established with Tucker Carlson. If the Hungarians can sit in Ukraine and have their Hungarian identity and have their Hungarian religion, why can't the Ukrainians have their Russian religion? Why can't the Russian Ukrainians have their Russian religion have their Russian culture, their Russian ideologies, but just be living in Ukraine, which ultimately was started by Russia in order to appease what was going on with Poland. That is why I asked you at the beginning, are we going to have a serious talk or a show? <laughs> you said... Yeah, see, he, he smacked him again. He, he really wanted it. Putin did a good job with, with dealing with this buffoonery and this clown, clown mess that Carlson did. And it, like I say, this is the part that's embarrassing because why did you have to do this? It, this does not look professional. This does not make you look good. It, it's, it's like you had an agenda hidden and you were going to expose him for who he was. But you got exposed a serious talk so bear with me please we're coming to the point where the soviet ukraine was established then in 1991 the soviet union collapsed and everything that russia had generously bestowed on ukraine was dragged away by the latter i'm coming to a very important point of today's agenda thank you after all the collapse of the soviet union was effectively initiated by the russian leadership i do not understand what the russian leadership was guided by at the time but i suspect there were several reasons to think everything Thing would be fine. First, I think that then Russian leadership believed that the fundamentals of the relationship between Russia and Ukraine were, in fact, a common language. More than 90% of the population there spoke Russian. Important point. Family ties. Every third person there had some kind of family or friendship ties common culture, common history, 
Finally, common faith, coexistence with a single state for centuries, and deeply interconnected economies. All of these were so fundamental. All these elements together make our good relationships inevitable. The second point is a very important one. I want you, as an American citizen and your viewers, to hear about this as well. The former Russian leadership assumed that the Soviet Union had ceased to exist, and therefore there were no longer any ideological dividing lines. Russia even agreed voluntarily and proactively to the collapse of the Soviet Union and believed that this would be understood by the so-called civilized West as an invitation for cooperation and association. That is what Russia was expecting, both from the United States and the so-called collective West as a whole. There were smart people, including in Germany, Egon Barr, a major politician of the Social Democratic Party, who insisted in his personal conversations with the Soviet leadership on the brink of the collapse of the Soviet Union, that a new security system should be established in Europe. Help should be given to unify Germany, but a new system should be also established to include the United States, Canada, Russia and other Central European countries. Yes. But NATO needs not to expand. That's what he said. If NATO expands, everything would be just the same as during the Cold War, only closer to Russia's borders. That's all. He was a wise old man, but no one listened. To him. In fact, he got angry once. If, he said, you don't listen to me, I'm never setting my foot in Moscow once again. Everything happened just as he had said. Well, it, of course it did come true, and, I, and you've mentioned this many times, I think it's a fair point, and many in America thought that relations between Russia and the United States would be fine with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War, that the opposite happened. But you've never explained why you think that happened, except to say that the West fears a strong Russia, but we have a strong China the West does not seem very afraid of. Hey, it's uh, it's what about Russia do you think convinced policymakers they had to the West is afraid of strong China more than it fears a strong Russia. Because Russia has 150 million people and China has 1.5 billion population and its economy is growing by leaps and bounds, or 5% a year, it used to be even more. But that's enough for China. As Bismarck once put it, potentials are the most important. China's potential is enormous, it is the biggest economy in the world today in terms of purchasing power parity and the size of the economy. It has already overtaken the United States quite a long time ago, and it is growing at a rapid clip. Let's not talk about who is afraid of whom, let's not reason in such terms. And let's get into the fact that after 1991, when Russia expected that it would be welcomed into the brotherly family of civilized nations, nothing like this happened. You tricked us. I think this is a a good point that Vladimir Putin is making. Hey, we've given up our ways. We've given up our communistic uh, 
economic system and we are embracing capitalism. Here we are. No one embraced them. I think this is a key point to understanding what really is happening inside of the world at this time, 1991. I remember I was in Germany. Was I in Germany? I was in Germany when the wall fell in 88. And when you, when you look at that piece of history and how long that wall had been there in the, in the divide and then the collapse of the USSR, there is something that, that needs to be said that the American people never dropped their hatred for Russia, which when you go back into World War II times, when you're looking at Patton, and I think it's Eisenhower, General Eisenhower was like, look, we need to have a relationship with Russia because we need, we need them. We need them to be a part of the world economy. But Patton got mad in, in, at, this, uh, at this knowledge, and you know things transpired and transgressed as the way that they did. So here, Vladimir Putin is, student of history, looking at things, he's saying, hey, here we are. We admit we we failed. We admit our economic policies were wrong. We admit the way that we treated our people was wrong. We're, we're here. Help us. Who gave them that help? Nobody. Nobody. Point number two. Look, I got to put point number two. China. China's economy is stronger than the United States stronger than the a lot of the other world economies it's probably not as strong as russia is now but look at what has taken place we have given up all of our manufacturing we don't do anything we don't build anything it's so bad that we take our meat freeze it send it to china for them to process and then they send it back to us so that we can sell it. What kind of sense does that make? So the comment that he made about, let's not get into who's afraid of who and who's afraid of what economy is, is very true. We're making it seem like uh, Russia's, Russia's the worst economy in the world and we have nothing to do with, with China. It's, it's interesting to me that our United States government now has put out all of this stuff about how bad China is and is trying to break up the relationship that we have uh, with, with China. But at this particular point in time, we can't make none of the stuff that China's making. And, and I'm not even talking about cheaply. I'm talking about period. Period. We, we can't do what they do because we don't have the infrastructure anymore. We used to have it. We used to build here in America. We used to do different things here in America. But no longer is that taking place. So like Putin said, who's afraid of who? You, you, you can't go beyond this and go around these situations without understanding the truth about what's going on. Let's go back into this video. Uh, what about Russia do you think convinced policymakers they had to, 
The West is afraid of strong China more than it fears a strong Russia. Because Russia has 150 million people and China has 1.5 billion population. And its economy is growing by leaps and bounds, or 5% a year. It used to be even more. But that's enough for China. As Bismarck once put it, potentials are the most important. China's potential is enormous. It is the biggest economy in the world today in terms of purchasing power parity and the size of the economy. It has already overtaken the United States quite a long time ago, and it is growing at a rapid clip. Let's not talk about who is afraid of whom. Let's not... Look at the, 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 the surprise on Tucker Carlson's face. Like he never heard this before. Never heard it. A reason in such terms. And let's get into the fact that after 1991, when Russia expected that it would be welcomed into the brotherly family of civilized nations, nothing like this happened. You tricked us. I don't mean you personally when I say you. Of course, I'm talking about the United States. The promise was that NATO would not expand eastward. But it happened five times. There were five waves of expansion. We tolerated all that. We were trying to persuade them. We were saying, please don't. We are as bourgeois now as you are. We are market economy and there is no communist party power. Let's negotiate. Moreover, I have also said this publicly before. There was a moment when a certain rift started growing between us. Before that, Yeltsin came to the United States. Remember, he spoke in Congress and said the good words. God bless America. Everything he said were signals. Let us in. Remember the developments in Yugoslavia before the Yeltsin was lavished with praise? As soon as the developments in Yugoslavia started, he raised his voice in support of Serbs, and we couldn't but raise our voices for Serbs in their defense. I understand that there were complex processes on the way there, I do. But Russia could not help raising its voice in support of Serbs, because Serbs are also a special and close to us nation, with orthodox culture and so on. It's a nation that has suffered so much for generations. Well, regardless, what is important is that Yeltsin expressed his support. What did the United States do? In violation of international law and the UN Charter, it started bombing Belgrade. It was the United States that led the genie out of the bottle. Moreover, when Russia protested and expressed its resentment, what was said? The UN Charter and international law have become obsolete. Now everyone invokes international law, but at that time they started saying that everything was outdated, everything had to be changed. Indeed, some things need to be changed, as the balance of power has changed, it's true, but not in this manner. Yeltsin was immediately dragged through the mud, accused of alcoholism, of understanding nothing, of knowing nothing. He understood everything, I assure you. Well. I became president in 2000, I thought, okay, the Yugoslav issue is over, but we should try to restore relations. Let's reopen the door that Russia had tried to go through. And moreover, I said it publicly, I can reiterate. At a meeting here in the Kremlin with the outgoing president Bill Clinton, right here in the next room, I said to him, I asked him, Bill, do you think if Russia asked to join NATO, do you think it would happen? 
Suddenly he said, you know, it's interesting, I think so. But in the evening, when we met for dinner, he said, you know, I've talked to my team, no, no, it's not possible now. You can ask him, I think he will watch our interview, he'll confirm it. I wouldn't have said anything like that if it hadn't happened. Okay, Were you it's impossible now. Would you have joined NATO? Look, I asked the question, is it possible or not? And the answer I got was no. If I was insincere in my desire to find out what the leadership position was... But if he had said yes... What a dumb question, Tucker. What a dumb question. Were you sincere? Were you sincere? Why would he ask for it if he wasn't? He just sat there and told you he wanted to be a part of the rest of the world. He wanted to play. His country wanted to play with all of the other countries. We wanted to be a part of the economy, this change in the structure. But they said, no, we're going to punish you even further because now we know we've got you. This, this is the mentality that the American people have. We have it. I'm sorry, we have it. It's in, it's in regular, everyday America. Russia's bad, Putin's evil, and the United States is good, and Biden is good. These are things that have been going on for a very, very long time, and it needs to change. We don't teach history anymore in our schools. The, the history that they get is uh, critical race theory type stuff that just... It doesn't make our kids understand why things took place in Russia, why things took place even here in the United States. And because we don't have that background anymore, we don't have that uh, layer of truth, we're about to make some big, big mistakes when it comes to Russia. I'm going to cut it off here for now. We're going to come back and we're going to do a part three. I hope this was interesting to you. Um, there's a lot of things that Putin is saying that Tucker Carlson just completely missed. And if he was really a, a person of the media, he was if he was really a journalist, he would have picked up on those things and this would have been a whole lot better exchange of information. And I believe that Vladimir Putin is exchanging information with us because he wants, he really does, he wants to be a part of the club. He wants to be a part of the club. But we're not letting him in. Christopher Radio Fire Radio, thank you for joining us. We will be back for more. And we will finish this Tucker Carlson. Thank you. We're committed to excellence and truth as we conduct spiritual overwatch for your soul.
we're committed to bringing the whole gospel to you. Simple truths, given with intellectual integrity, far better than Fox News and CNN combined. Please feel free to contact us with questions, comments, concerns at ChristopherRadiantFire.org. Like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Amazon, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and more. Until next time. That was your Overwatch, Einstein. You can thank him later.